a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, I had a fellow in church, and he was a successful businessman. Uh, he made six figures, probably closer to seven rather than closer to five. He was a natural networker. Uh, he was a graduate of a Christian college, and he loved the fact that he was a Christian. Um, he had a lot of things going for him. But if I could be honest in this context, he was a bit of a jerk, okay? He was a bit of a jerk. Uh, on the DISC profile, D-I-S-C, he was a high D, so he was a take command kind of a guy, but he took that to the extreme, uh, meaning that he was very domineering, so it was his way or the highway. Uh, he was also a hothead, so little things, big things would set him off. You never knew. And when he went off, he would give you a dressing down like no tomorrow. And it was laced with explicit, uh, explicatives. Um, did I mention the fact that he loved that he was a Christian? So he worked in this company, and his company had an event. And he invited me to the social event for his company because he wanted everybody to meet his pastor. And so as the evening goes on, one by one, employees, coworkers are coming up to me and they're asking me a string of questions. And it's the same three questions. So, I'll call him Billy Ricky. So, you're, you're Billy Ricky's pastor, huh? Yes, my name's Max Vanderpool. Nice to meet you. So, so Billy Ricky, like, he goes to church like every week? Yes, yes, he does. He's there every Sunday. Huh. So, like, uh... Now, Billy Ricky says he's really involved, like, he's involved in your church? And I would, and he, there were a couple of roles that he did. And so on and on, one person after another. And later in the evening, his administrative assistant pull, corners me, pulls me aside. And by this time, I had fielded these questions like, you know, 40 times. And so, I, so, you're Billy Ricky's pastor. Yes, my name is Max Vanderpool. It's nice to meet you. So... Like, he goes to church every week. Yes, he's there every Sunday. <laughs> so, like, he's really involved. And at this point, I couldn't take it anymore. I did, and I did something I normally don't do. And I said, look, people are broken and messed up. And some people are more broken and messed up than others. And the church is a place for broken, messed up people. I know that Billy Ricky has some issues he needs to work on. Like, the things that you see here at work, we see them too. Okay, and that's why Billy Ricky's not in a position of leadership. But he can serve just like anybody can serve because we're all broken. And do you know what she did? She goes, oh, and her shoulders soften. And then she says, tell me about your church, right? Because <laughs> none of the other people wanted to know anything about my church because, right? Okay, so... Isn't that weird? Like, isn't that weird? I, I wish I could tell you that Billy Ricky is an exception and that church is just full all over America and all over the world of just amazingly humble and love-filled people, but that's, that's not true. Now, to Billy Ricky's credit, Billy Ricky was at least who he was. Like, who he was was who he was at home, at church, at work. Like, there was no pretending. Now, there are people who are really great at pretending. Now, I've been duped a few times over the years, you know, not often, but it happens, where they are just one way among God's people, and then at home, they're just terrors, right? That's hypocrisy. That's also rough. Uh, but Billy Ricky at least had going for him. He was who he was. Um, now, church is full of imperfect people who follow Jesus imperfectly. 
Some of you need to really own this today. Church <laughs> is full of imperfect people following Jesus imperfectly. So apparently, Billy Ricky is the norm, not the exception, right? But Billy Ricky's employees and his coworkers expected something better from him. And, and they're not crazy to have expected something better. Think about it. A lot of you in this room, you know someone who walked away from God or who walked away from the church because of a Billy Ricky. Uh, I remember at a chamber event years ago, somebody telling me about their pastor. And this pastor was pulling $80,000 plus another $50,000 in expenses and golfed you know, four times a week and didn't like the people in church. And this person gave up on church because this pastor loved money, in their opinion, more than they loved people. Um, you've, you've known people who, because their parents were the great, you know, posers and they were perfect at church, but mean at home, the kids grew up and they're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. You can keep that Jesus stuff over there. I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, and, and, uh, I know a fella at the swim team. This has been a few years back. Uh, Randy, he hasn't been in church in forever and a day. And he got saved and he encountered God in a powerful way. And the associate and senior pastor went to war with each other. The church split. I mean, it was bad. People were vicious to each other, and he hasn't been in church since. And that was seven years ago. Seven years ago. Okay, so the Billy Rickies can be a big stumbling block. Is it reasonable to expect Christians to be perfect, to love perfectly all the time and in all circumstances? I would say to you this morning, no. Despite some of you who might be Wesleyans who might be going, whoa, okay, we can talk later, we'll have coffee, right? Uh, but in the West, we tend to view the word perfect as meaning without flaw, and that's part of it, okay? So now, is it reasonable to expect Christians to grow and change for the better over time? <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, that should be the case. In this series, I'm trying to articulate three marks of a disciple. Notice I'm using the word disciple, not Christian. In America, you know, everybody's a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian too. Yes, we're all Christians. Kumbaya, my Lord. Okay, so, right? Disciple has a little bit more clarity and a lot less baggage. It's used in the Bible. And even today, the word disciple still has some of the key parts to it that we need to have. So you can go to Silicon Valley right now and meet, and it's going to be a guy, not a gal, who has a startup company, which we can talk about that later, right? Um, and they might say to you at a conversation to raise money for their startup company, well, I'm a disciple of Steve Jobs, right? And what they mean when they say that is, I spent time at Apple. I worked with Steve Jobs. I make decisions the way Steve makes them. I'm trying to be like Steve Jobs. I'm a disciple, okay? So last week, or actually two weeks ago, we started articulating what is a disciple. And I'm saying there are three marks. And the first mark of a disciple is simply Jesus leads, the disciple follows. So if you're wondering yourself, like, am I a disciple? Am I not a disciple? Like, does Jesus lead in your life? Does he get to lead? Um, when it comes to a family member or a friend, right, is Jesus leading in their life? Jesus leads, a disciple follows. Today, I want to flesh out a second mark of a disciple. And here's today's bottom line. Directed by the Holy Spirit, a disciple changes over time. And I would, I would add, for the better. And, and we're going to flesh that out today using Scripture to do that, okay? Uh, if you brought a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. 
the book of Galatians. Um, and we're going to look at one passage that articulates what, uh, what change over time marks a disciple. And there are many passages like this in the New Testament, but in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing a letter to a group of Christians who had decided that, you know what, we don't need the... We don't need the direction of the Holy Spirit. We just need to follow all these Jewish rules and regulations. And if we follow those, God's going to be thrilled and happy. And Paul's like, rawr, rawr, you know, red alert. And the stormtroopers come out in the whole nine yards. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You guys are free. You don't need the law. You don't need all these rules. Like if you have the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you, you're not going to mess up in the ways that you're worried about messing up, okay? So he's, that's the larger argument that he's making. And so we're going to delve into this passage, and we're going to start off in verses 13 and 14. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now that word is flesh. He uses one word in the Greek, flesh, all right? And he doesn't mean skin, okay? It's, it's a, it has to do with a power, but I'll explain it in a minute. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, someone else said that, didn't they? Right? We, who said that? Who said that? This is the question you always get right in children's church. Who said that? Jesus. Good. All right. That's good. Okay, so let's keep going in this passage. All right, and let's see what Paul has to say about what does a changed disciple look like. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit... You're not under obligation to the law of Moses. So in that first verse, verse 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's the secret to loving your neighbor. You want to know the secret to loving your neighbor? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. It's impossible to love people, all people, all the time. There are people at school that are Billy Rickies and jerks. There are people at work that are Billy Rickies and jerks. There may be people you live with in your home <laughs> who are Billy Rickies and who are jerks, and it's hard to love those people. And trying harder and getting a set of self-improvement tapes, I'm going to love Billy Ricky. I'm going to love him so well. Like, it never works real well when you're doing that, okay? So Jesus lived his life under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, and he was able to love in a way that was profoundly different. Okay, so Paul is saying here in this passage, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Now, when a person becomes a disciple, they're forgiven, they're freed from the power of sin, and they're given the Holy Spirit, but that comes with some baggage. Did you know that? When you get the Holy Spirit in you, that's when the fireworks start, and there's a conflict on the inside, because flesh and spirit are duking it out for who's going to guide you and who's going to control you and who's going who's to be the main power and force and driving force for your life. And if you don't believe me, uh, for, the, for a lot of us can, can testify, you know, I want to read my Bible and it's like I open it up and it's like everything distracts me. I don't know what that is. It's weird. I know, huh? Weird. 
trying to read the Word of God and you can't even focus. That's so strange. What a coincidence. Remember flesh, spirit, okay? Uh, uh, this happens all the time, okay? Um, I, my spouse, I want to love my spouse and serve them, but I'm on, on the infrade, I'm afraid they're going to take advantage of me. So I withhold, I hold back. Again, flesh and spirit are duking it out on the inside. All right? So in the last little part here, verse 18, when you're directed by the spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law. In other words, when the spirit is guiding you, you don't have to sweat the commandments and the rules and all 613 things that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. Because love is guiding things. The Spirit is guiding things. All right? So let's keep going. In verse 19 and following, Paul articulates what the works of the flesh look like. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, and again, this two-word phrase, sinful nature, is just one It's flesh, right? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul lists these four kinds of sins, sexual sins, religious sins, social sins, drinking sins. And he's saying, if you have these things coming out of your life, you're being led by the flesh. The power that's driving you is the sinful nature. It's the flesh. Follow this with me. If you're a community, a church, and you're characterized by what's on this list, you're being led by the flesh and not the spirit we got a problem houston we got a problem in america and in the world right because there are a lot of churches not being led by the spirit they're being led by the flesh okay in verse 21 he's very forceful and he says as a, let me tell you as i have before anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of god he says, I don't care if you have a profession of faith. I don't care if you have a charismatic experience. If flesh is what's coming out of you, flesh is what you are. All right? And then he walks out what a changed disciple, a disciple being changed by the Spirit looks like. And this is the one that everybody puts in their kitchens. <laughs> okay? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And some of you might even sing this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So in the first part where he was talking about the works of the flesh coming out of somebody, in this part he's contrasting it with the fruit, singular, one fruit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit. If you're an apple tree, I'm going to make apples, I'm making apples now. Like, does it work that way? <laughs> does an apple tree have to try really hard to make apples? 
No, if you have the right conditions and you're an apple tree, guess what? You're going to make apples. You don't have to sit there and get all red-faced and pop out apples. It just, you know, so Paul is saying here, right? He's saying here, with the Spirit guiding and directing you and your life being directed and empowered by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. It changes you, and your life is characterized by love, joy, peace, okay? Are, are, are you getting this? So the fruit isn't the result of trying extra hard or getting a bunch of motivational tapes, right? Um, have you ever had someone try to live out one of these virtues around you? I'm just going to be gentle. I'm going to be gentle, and I'm going to treat you with gentleness. Mm, it doesn't work, <laughs> It doesn't work. So the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are signs. They're markers of what's on the inside. If you're traveling down the interstate and you see this green symbol, you know something really good is inside. <laughs> yes, I, my name is Max and I'm an addict. Okay? But if you, see the wall, if you see the blue Walmart, you know. Okay? So... These are signs and markers that indicate what's inside the box. And works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, are signs and markers of what's in the box. Does this make sense? So let me ask some questions in light of this passage. How's the battle between the flesh and the Spirit going in your life right now? Right? There's conflict. They're duking it out. Who's... Like in the last 30 days, who's got the most points, flesh or spirit? What are the signs and markers of your life? And then secondly, is your time with Jesus changing you? Is your time with Jesus changing you? I have a little continuum thing here. And in the Bible, the Bible uses... Uh, uh, very specific language about our faith journey. When we start out, we're dead. We're spiritually dead, which is, you know, to quote the Princess Bride, when you're all dead, there's nothing you can do about it, but look for loose change. You got nothing. You're dead. And then you're an infant in Christ, and then a child, and then a young... Like, so the biblical language talks about uh, maturation. So would you say, okay, yes, Max, you know, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I accept... I responded to the gospel uh, 10 years ago, but in truth, I'm no different than I always was. Would you say, well, look, I take three steps forward and two steps back, and it's messy, but there's progress. It's really, really messy, though. <laughs> Some of you might say, well, you know what? 15 years ago or whatever it was, let me tell you, here's two big areas of my life that are different today. I mean, it's not everything. I got a ways to go, but these two areas right here, Man, God's changed me. And maybe some of you might even say, look, it's just a thing with me, I know. I, I don't want to have to have my neck splayed out for Jesus to put his foot on it. I just make it a habit. I lay down my agenda and, I, you know, what do you want, boss? <laughs> um, so that kind of can articulate part of the faith journey. Well, how do you spend time with Jesus? Let me remind you, you need unrushed time. You can't, you can't do what I do, but like, I, because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to explain God's word on a regular basis, one of the things I do is I take a day a week when the weather's warm, and I, I call them my God days. 
because I hear God with greater clarity when I'm outside, when it's an extended period of time. There's nothing pressing me. There aren't people, you know, trying to, and so God can talk. And I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, on the way to that place where I meet God, God isn't talking to me about what you need to hear. God is talking to me about how I need to change <laughs> and bring my life under the leadership of Jesus, how I need to love my wife more, how I need to let go of control, or any number of things. So this is how God works, okay? So unrushed time. Where in your day, in your week, do you give God some unrushed time? And then Bible intake. Uh, the old version of me would say, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I still say that, but I recognize that we're in post-literate America. So if you need to listen to your Bible online, listen to it online. I had somebody ask me two weeks ago, they, they sheepishly told me they got through one of the Gospels, but it didn't count because they listened to it in their car. And I'm like, it counts. You know, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have, <laughs> the New Testament wasn't bound in leather at that point. Like it was oral, okay? <laughs> Listening counts, all right? So Bible intake. And then oikos fellowship. We use the word oikos here because it's the biblical word for extended family, household. That's what the church is. And so, Time with other disciples. Uh, when I'm with other disciples, they rub up against me. So those are some ways in which I spend time with Jesus. That's not exhaustive. There are other ways to do it. So where, where does this change take place? Everywhere. <laughs> right? Where, so if you're, if you're a disciple, it's going to affect what goes on at home over time. Or it should. Um, why do you think most of Paul's letters are, you know, oh, so you're a slave, oh, so you're married, oh, so you're a kid, oh, like, basically all of his advice on how to live the Christian life is, oh, you're in this set of circumstances, this is what it means to be a disciple, if you, <laughs> okay, so home, work, and then oikos, it, it affects everything, that's where this, this plays out, um, so if you're younger, I want to talk to you for a minute. So if you're 14, 16, 20 years old, as I've been talking today, you have thought to yourself, man, mom really needs to, <laughs> dad really needs to. Like, you know how your parents need to grow and change. And I want to, I want to affirm for you that you're probably spot on with what you're thinking, <laughs> especially if you're around 20. Like, your mom's got issues, dad's got issues. We know. Okay, but here's the bad news. It's highly unlikely God's going to use you to change your parents. I have a mother-in-law and a mother who are 75 and 70 respectively. I've known them my whole life. Well, my mom and then since getting married, my mother-in-law. I have changed neither of them. <laughs> okay, I've had to set boundaries. I've had to, I can control me. I can't control them, right? So, so I just want to say to you, if you're younger, you're, it's, it's unlikely you're going to change your parents, but, 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 given where you are, your parent, you know, those things you see in your parents, believe it or not, they actually see things in you that they try to articulate from time to time, and you're like, I don't want to hear it. Okay, I'm just saying that at your current age, that could be a means of grace in your life to actually become a little bit more like Jesus and save you some burning episodes later in life where your skin falls off and you're screaming. Ah! metaphorically not literally okay so now for those of you that are older 35 60 you've been following jesus a long time you should be able to point to some things in your life 
that have changed. You should be able to point to some big things in your life that have changed. And I'm not talking this. I'm not talking about changing your personality. Well, you know, before the Lord, I was just an introvert, and I, I, scared, I was scared of people, but now that I found Jesus, I go to parties five nights a week. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm not talking about fundamentally changing your personality. Here's, I'm an introvert. Here's how God has changed that introvertedness. 20 years ago, I had a look on my face that said to people, get out of my house. Today, <laughs> today I have a, I be, I've learned the art of, of helping people understand they're valued and welcome, which at times I say to Jenny, I just, I'm going to go to bed now, have them lock the door on the way out, right? So, but like, so God changes. What's another area of my life? Uh, I've told you this before, so like control issues were are one of the big themes of my life, and so I can point to the fact that when I was young, I didn't even like to fly because I, I wasn't in control of the plane. You know, I, I fly anywhere and everywhere now, and I, it's terrible because it's not first class. It's just <laughs> deplorable, right? Okay, but God is changing things even just this week, and I'm still having to learn and grow and change. So Jenny and I were having a husband-wife check-in that had to do with Jesus in our lives, and she pointed out, and it hurt. She goes, when you have your people days, you come in, you blow into the house, and you start cleaning right away. And I'm like, oh, that's because I've sat down with a couple, and they're like, going to get a divorce or whatever, and I can't control that situation, and I'm coming home, and I'm like, well, I can clean the kitchen. I can do that, and I, I realize it's a coping mechanism for me. She goes, yeah, that hurts my feelings, <laughs> right? So we've come up, so now on, I've, on my people days, I'm having to change those so that I give myself an, a, a two-hour window before I walk in the door so that when I walk in the door, right, I'm bringing my best to my wife and my kids. Does this make sense? These are growth areas that come about as you're walking with Jesus. And again, a lot of the times, now when Jenny brought that up, was I immediately receptive? No. I was like, Rrr. but then both her and the Holy Spirit, I was like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Okay. So uh, if you're younger, if you're older, again, so last week, Jesus leads, you follow. This week uh, is my time with Jesus changing me. And so here's some questions that can further, like, do I need to resolve conflict with someone? Uh, do I need to serve more faithfully? Do I need to love more completely at home? Do I need to work harder at job or treat subordinates well? Remember Billy Ricky from the beginning? Uh, so in our congregation, we have people that are high D on the, on the disc profile. Um, and Mike, I'm, I'm going to pick on you for a moment. So you can, I'll owe you breakfast this week. Okay, so... So I didn't ask permission before. Like, but Mike Lesage is a classic high D on the disc profile. Like, he's a take charge kind of guy. And without Jesus in his life, he could probably be a really big jerk. I'm just going to say that right off the front. But in the 20 years that I've known him, when he has said things that maybe had a little bit of a bite to it or whatnot, the next day I get a Mike call. Hey, I just want to make sure that, you know, yesterday I said X, I, just wanna, I thought it might have had an edge to it. I just want to make sure we're okay and that you heard my heart and my intent. I'm not trying to step on you. Like, that's Jesus at work in somebody's life, okay? So, again, if you're a disciple, it means that you're changing for the better. <laughs> and you're becoming more like Jesus. It's not about perfection. 
it's about direction, right? Let me say that one more time. It's not about perfection. It's about direction.